Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Host or where coronavirus and hyperreality meet film criticism and class. <laughs> Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Horror Vanguard. Uh, I am your co-ghost, uh, John, otherwise known as the Liquid Guy, joined as always by your friend of mine, Ash. Ash, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing doing really, really well. Just got out of one of my many uh, Skype seance sessions, so I'm assuming things are just going to be great and normal today. Yeah, working from home, it just means Zoom calls all day. Am I right? Right. And then... Then in my last Zoom call, I noticed, um, you know how in Zoom you can have like the waiting room for people who are about to join your call? Um, Azeroth, uh, Demon of the Ninth <laughs> Circle, was in the waiting room. Uh, again, you know what he's like. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a very normal, very regular conversation between me and you. Nothing weird is going to happen. It's going to be great. Let's, let's hope that uh, 627 individuals that are either 35 or 19 don't descend into our chat and plague us with a uh, demon in the guise of a man named jack <laughs> um if you have not worked it out we are talking about um the weakest in the unfriended sequel in the unfriended <laughs> film uh, series uh 2020s shutter exclusive host aka um, unfriended colon the covid call uh, or Unfriended 3, hanging out with your friends from uni. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but this is this is a film that's been getting quite a lot of critical buzz, um, which we are going to get into. But before all of that, as always, Ash, my friend, my uh, comrade, my co-ghost, would you mind telling me and everybody listening... What is Host 2020 all about? Hyperreality represents the cognitive breakdown between the real and the fictitious. This space is not just where reality and fiction merge, but where any clean delineation between the two becomes impossible to detect. Host is a movie about COVID that bears no relation to the reality of COVID. Host is the hyperreality of coronavirus. In the vein of Jean Baudrillard's famous essay, The Gulf War Did Not Take Place, I want to argue that the hyperreal depiction of COVID in the host amounts to a contemporary riff on Baudrillard, the coronavirus pandemic did not take place. In Baudrillard's essay, he doesn't argue that the factual events of the Gulf War never happened. Rather, he argues that the atrocities that took place can't truly count as a war. The American military used vastly superior air power to engage in combat with an enemy that it never had to fight in any conventional appraisal of the word war. Likewise, the events around COVID have, and are, happening, but to instantiate them in naturalistic terms like infection and pandemic is to create a hyper-reality no longer connected to the real. This deadly infection is devastating our communities, isn't natural like a spring rain. It's enabled by capitalistic systems that will always place profit over human lives. How we are facing COVID has less to do with the virus itself, and infinitely more to do with the social systems that could care less if we all died. 
The COVID pandemic is caused by racism, classism, colonialism, and so much more in addition to the viral strain. Host reproduces the pandemic in its most hyper-real form. The pandemic is nothing more than a reason to chat over Skype. No more or less devastating than a summer storm or a winter break from college. It's a manufactured consent of a new normal that favors the spectacle of an unseen demon over a social system in freefall. Join us as the simulacra of, a of John and Ash engages in the exchange of signs and symbols that is 2020's host. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Uh oh I I think that's a really interesting argument okay to to argue about Baudrillard and uh I think maybe this is what we're going to talk about quite a lot during the next little while I just but, shout out to Labor Kyle because he and I have been chatting about the concept of hyperreality for the last like week and a half Uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh that that's what it's like being friends with Labor Kyle <laughs> <laughs> it's truly it's truly the one of the most refreshing experiences i have indeed um yeah let's let's talk about host host is um before we started recording you asked me um what i thought about host um and here's here's my hot take on this film which as we're going to talk about has a 100 from rotten tomatoes uh has rave reviews from so many big film outlets here's my hot take ash host 2020 is okay is it, it is functionally competent <laughs> that that's my hot that that is that's my hot take um it's i i mean if i'm if i maybe that's being a little bit harsh i would say that this is probably the technically the best example of what we might call internet horror or like online chat horror would you agree? Um, I, I would say yes on like a technical level. It's, it's a very tight movie. Uh, the effects are very well done and it's very restrained, which are all things that I think that the kind of video chat horror mode has been needing. I think this is delivering. Uh, so I, de I yeah, definitely, ab it's, it's amazingly derivative of the Unfriended movies. Um, in in a way that's almost comical, but at the same time, it's it's refining those concepts. And and you know when we were talking beforehand, I made the comment that this this has the feel of like what if the unfriended movies tried to be the Blair Witch? It's got that kind of yeah. atmospheric spookiness where we don't really know the rules of the monster we're engaging with, and the things that are happening are kind of strange. But eh, host. It was all right. It was over before I knew it. <laughs> in our episode on the McPherson tapes, I talked a little bit about what I think is the relationship between technological means and generic form. And I think this is a kind of high point of that relationship, right? Uh, because we're now at a point where there is a certain, like a Zoom is now ubiquitous among a certain demographic of um the pe people who would watch this movie um and the idea of like you get very little uh like screen bleeding or image tear because laptop cameras and cell phone cameras generally have pretty good fidelity now and so uh but it's not good enough that you get rid of all of the tension so i think 
from that point of view, this is hitting a moment where like people are familiar enough with the technology of chatting online and the reasons for it. And the technology that we use is good enough that this doesn't seem like it's completely unbelievable. So yeah, it's it's enormously derivative though, because it's basically a pretty standard genre piece that's just like being presented in a slightly new package. It's very tight and shiny, and like you said, it's over before you know it. Um But I guess that's gonna be the high point of our praise. <laughs> I mean I mean to the the good things about this movie are I appreciate films that are uh well well crafted within within their boundaries right these are all uh i don't know like like the 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 terminology of indie film is is kind of meaningless but like i i like that they were able to achieve with what they were able to achieve it with um that's (laughs) that is like that is the most like we have no we have known unknowns we have unknown unknowns and we have known knowns kind of compliment that has ever been given I mean, like, it's a cliche, but it is true, right? Which is that limitations can inspire creativity. Yeah. I, 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 if you work with the limitations, and, you know, this this was made during a period of time where in Britain you weren't really supposed to be leaving your house. Like, from that point of view, it's a, it's a kind of polished technical achievement. But this kind of brings us to an important question. This film has 100 on Rotten Tomatoes. And so my important question is this, Ash. How? <laughs> How has this happened? Uh, because, because, John, um, at some point, God's light left us. <laughs> like, and, and, just, and just to put this in context, right, right? Rotten Tomatoes is a review aggregator, and the review system is kind of laden with all of its own troubles right um but robocop doesn't have 100 right there are there are so many movies that have worn the test of time and and have proven their worth over generations and decades that aren't going to get 100 on rotten tomatoes (laughs) but host Mm -hmm. uh, a brand new movie that's that's really just kind of unfriended three is somehow beyond flaw (laughs) um yeah like genuinely genuinely i do think this is worth talking about right how has this happened like what's your theory how why has this film which is as as you say unfriended three the university reunion or like how has this been met with such universal acclaim from the cultural critics who are supposed to be able to like tell that this is not doing anything, which a myriad different films haven't done before in various ways. Well, I think it's, I think it's really, really one of the most telling things about the reception of this movie. Um, Usually I I find myself uh, pretty significantly at odds with the film reviewers at uh, rogerebert.com. Um, Roger Ebert's reviews uh, that that he conducted himself uh, hit or miss in terms of their alignment with my own personal taste. But a lot of the other writers on that website, I'm usually like, okay, like you're being a little bit of a film snob. You need to you need to take it down a notch. Um, 
but uh, RogerEbert.com gave this two and a half stars. And uh, finally, <laughs> the two and a half stars have aligned. <laughs> I completely agree. This is a very good two and a half stars movie. But um, I think yes, you absolutely. you uh, have I think what I what I would agree with is the correct take for why uh, uh, these 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 kind of like uh, I don't know uh, film critics have praised this movie so. Okay, so here's I don't know if this is just being a bit basic or a bit obvious, but here's my theory. Right, film critics like many of us who work in a kind of cultural or, um, you know online industry are were among the first people to be working from home um and as such probably spend huge amounts of their day either online on their laptop or on zoom calls with people that they work with and then along comes this film which which let's be clear if this film was set in the same real world location if this was about six friends who hold a seance in a building this would be literally a copy pasta of like so many films that came out between 2012 and like 2018 and then this film comes along that is like oh what if you were on zoom but it was scary and all of the film critics go i recognize the thing (laughs) (laughs) i i I too i too have been trapped in the nightmare of a a never-ending zoom call (laughs) um which i think is speaks to a kind of narrowness of their a kind of cultural narrowness of their reference points and is pretty revealing of like the culture industry's relationship to neoliberal governmentality's reaction to coronavirus because film critics and i think quite a lot of people in the cultural industries thought of themselves as deeply important and significant people um probably with fairly good reason in in some ways but when lockdown kicked in, especially here in the UK, huge swathes of the population were dismissed as non-essential workers and were told to work from home. And it, in many ways, I think that's a, that's a good thing, right? But it also, you know, we found out that the most, like, like there's this kind of like trend in British media discourse where all of these columnists found out that the truly important people in society were not them and their friends who suddenly couldn't go to the office but were like grocery store workers and nurses and people who collect uh, their rubbish and people that they don't kind of think twice about. So this film comes along, which goes, yes, look, your condition is shared. Your condition is scary and significant. And they just kind of lost it for it. That's, I don't know. Am I being, am I being too harsh here? I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're being entirely accurate. Like I, I think we're going to talk about class later, but the class position of of a lot of instantiated film experts is something that deeply impacts their ability to critique a film, right? And this is I don't I don't think host succeeds. Um, in fact, I think um, the unfriended movies are failures, but they're incredibly interesting in how they fail and what they're attempting to do. Um, host. Oh yeah, completely. Host for me does does, and we've mentioned this a lot on the show. But host for me does the single worst thing a movie can do, and that's and that's be middle of the road. Um, it's not it's not a knockout hit. It's not a a beautiful train wreck. It's just good, 
and it's going to leave my mind pretty quickly. But I think like it's it's clearly the movie is clearly pawing towards uh, being a highbrow intellectual film. And indeed, a lot of the reviews talk about this movie as if it's achieving something intellectual and highbrow. And I think that there's this kind of there's a class implication there. There there's a there's a to to resurrect the most reviled phrase in horror movie criticism. This this movie is edging towards elevated horror, which is something that that you know the critics smell that like like a shark smells blood in the water. Yeah, I, I, like I say, if you got rid of the um, Zoom website overlay and you put this all in the same location, like the reaction would have been. That that would have been much more accurate. That the critics would have seen this for what it is, which is a competent, well-paced short. No, it's the same length of a prestige episode of TV, <laughs> and that and that's what it is. It's essentially, it's just, like this feels like this feels like a Black Mirror. Oh episode. God! So. So the, the right? second you said prestige TV in the back of my head, I was like, don't say Black Mirror, don't say Black Mirror. But you are 100% correct. That's, that's what this feels like. That's what this feels like. And it's like, it's it's not bad, but it's it's gotten a flawless rating from every critic that, that Rotten Tomatoes is pulling from. And I think it's like, this is so accidentally revealing of something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um... Yeah, I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe I am being too harsh, but I think it's because it came out at a time when a lot of people who watch films and comment on films and comment on culture were working from home and were probably stuck on Zoom calls with their boss that they don't really like, and they went, "Oh yeah, this feels this connects." And actually, that's something that I I watched this immediately after coming off a Zoom call with somebody else, and that did make the film like a little more. Um, effectively intensive, right? Because because the kind of visual cues were exactly the same. But if you kind of take a step back from that and actually look at what this film is doing, there's nothing here which has not been done thousands of times already. I I think you're completely correct. Like it doesn't, and we, I think I think um, at least I know for me personally, I'm being intentionally a little bit more harsh and critical with this film than I would be if it didn't have a 100 on Rotten Tomatoes as of the recording of this episode. Like, if it would have had, like, an 85, I I would be much more on board <laughs> with playing nice, but... I mean, I, it's it's fine. It's it's a, it's it's all right. It's, it's a fun way to spend an hour, but that's that's... Is it offering any kind of like serious comment on on the situation of coronavirus in in uh contemporary anglophone capitalism no most most certainly <laughs> not uh, this is it's like this is roller coaster ride horror right you're strapped in there's a bunch of there's a bunch of spooks and scares and then you get off and i think people are writing about this as if like the last thing you see on your roller coaster is like a, a, a lecture by baudrillard or something and then you're allowed to exit the ride I mean, I do find the critical reception baffling when they're like, hmm, yes, it's a metaphor for the fear of loneliness under lockdown. And I'm like, what are you talking about? No, it's no, no. Like, and this is, this is what I was getting at, right? Like that's, that's, that's hyper reality. That, that's an inability to, ah, like, I'm sorry. Like 
this is this is this is mind melting for me because this movie has nothing to do with coronavirus. You know, and we're gonna. I, I think uh, in just a bit here, we're gonna start talking about coronavirus. But this movie has has absolutely nothing to do with COVID. But it has it has everything to do with the reception to it. Anyway, it has everything to do with people recognizing a certain kind of subsection of people recognizing their own condition at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's what, it's it's like uh, it's just like hey, I recognize the thing. I I use Zoom. This is my life. <laughs> but I think I think um I think this gets us into to our next point uh here which is which is something interesting an interesting uh uh a thing about the character work um in in this in this in this movie um because when I was watching this um and I, and this is this is like a cultural distinction. This is something that I did not know that you were able to pick up on because you're from the UK. But when I was watching this, I, I was reading this in the context of like, because in, in, in an American context, this is a great movie for teens. Um, it's just like Unfriended, right? It's just like Friend Request. These are, these are movies for teens or early college kids that, that kind of are about that world and that life. And when I'm watching it, I'm putting it in context with that. And to me, these characters read as insipid teenagers. You know, they, they read as like like uh just the most vulgar depiction of college students where like they just want to they just want to do shots and be dickheads and there's the one there's the one uh our, our protagonist if if i guess this this movie doesn't really have much in the way of protagonist but she's she's earnest right she she wants the the seance to go by respectfully even if they don't believe in it she wants them to abide by the rules and be kind and everyone else is like no fuck ghosts ghosts are stupid let's do shots but um, you you pointed out something interesting about these alleged nineteen-year-old uh, college students, and that was these are not college kids. Dun dun like, dun. These are, these are these are not college kids, and if anything, I think this makes these characters even more unlikable. Inf- when you explained this to me, I was like, "That is infinitely worse." <laughs> They're so much more hateable now. Hashtag Team Jack. Um. <laughs> uh. So like. This is a very kind of particular type, and again, I think this is why this has resonated with people. It is, it's like so in the in the pre-seance Zoom conversations, they're talking about like their uh, their friendship group. Um, one of them, uh, so they're 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 all women, they're all female apart from Teddy, who's this kind of like slightly uh, bulkier guy with like a big beard. Um, and they've all clearly been to university together because they're all talking about like their college days, their university days when they kind of partied and drank too much. So what they are is like a group of old university friends who've all moved to London and are like hanging out on Zoom as a way of getting through working from home and quarantine because they're kind of bored of like board game nights and virtual pub quizzes. And, like, n- none of them seem like terribly likable people. There, are, There's very little by way of character detail. There's one who is, because it's locked down, um, they are, like, basically living with their partner, who's called Alan, and it seems like that relationship is pretty strained. Um, but the, the rest of them just... There's some one of them who's, like, living at home or maybe living... Uh, or a parent is staying with them and keeps complaining that their dad keeps going out. But, like, they didn't strike me as college kids at all. Yeah, yeah, and that's... 
so so you were talking about like the specific cultural things that somebody who's lived in the UK their their whole life is going to pick up on that that for me as somebody who only lived in the UK for uh, a little over a year uh, it was just kind of went over my head um but yeah i mean i i think like the internet horror or like the chat horror where it's basically a found footage film that's pieced together from like a Skype call or a, or a Facebook chat or or in this case a Zoom call. Again, the fact that it's Zoom is very very important. I think it works in the context of like you know silly college kids because they make silly mistakes. They you know drinking bleach and putting their hands into blenders and it's it's fine because and they're not really supposed to have much by way of character, but this is. Like, Zoom is a tool that's been used through lockdown by a kind of, like, uh, a professional demographic, right? It's a professional tool. It's not used by university students or college students. It's used by people who are graduates and are, like, now in the workplace. Um, And I think that makes their decisions so much less relatable. (laughs) Because there's... Oh my god! This film loves to do the clunk off in the mm-hmm. distance. Hmm. I, I better go see what that is, and it does it like half a dozen times. And it's like, okay, when you've got like an eighteen-year-old who's been partying all night, uh, that kind of makes sense. And you go, and I'm like, ah, here are the cozy rules of the genre. But when it's like, you know, a thirty-one-year-old who lives in Zone Three in London, and has seen all of their friends go through some weird spooky shit at the same time. You go, what are you doing? And, and see, this this was this was like this kind of had two impacts on me, right? Because you're absolutely right. I am 100% expecting uh, this behavior comes from from teenagers in horror movies, right? Or or maybe yeah, early 20s characters that are just huge partiers and stoners, right? You know, like the the whole like. Like, oh my god, like, a body just flew past me. I gotta get my flashlight and investigate. Whereas, like, adults don't behave that way, you know? Like, the, 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 it's kind of like... it do, Like, this movie almost doesn't know what age its characters are. They're, 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 they're 31-year-olds acting like 19-year-olds. And it's, and it's tied up into the fact that they're all incredibly, like... They're massive assholes about this whole experience. All of them but Haley are just, just fucking pricks across the board. <laughs> And it's like, I, I said to you before we started recording, I could so easily see, like, a London lifestyle blog publishing a thing during lockdown of, like, are you bored with, like, virtual pop quiz and board game nights? Why not do a Zoom seance with your friends? <laughs> and that's exactly what this feels like. And there's one of them who takes the thing seriously. But the rest of them are ch- just the worst. Right, and, like, the, the other thing that I was going to get at with their behavior is that, like, so these are adults, right? And if if you're an adult in a horror movie and like your cabinets are flying open and like I, I think about Poltergeist, right? What do the adults in Poltergeist want to do? Right? They were like, let's investigate this stuff. So they're like they're measuring how far the chair goes across the floor, they're calling the experts, right? Like they're they're making like adult decisions. Like if stuff started levitating in my kitchen, I would document it and then I would start calling people and be like, Hey guys, there's stuff levitating in my kitchen. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> But, like, ostensibly the reason that these people don't just leave their homes and go meet up together is COVID, right? Because they can't. They can't. Oh, like, the, the lockdown. We can't get together. But that, that, that is so yeah. frail because even under COVID, 
if if you, you you watch your partner get thrown through the ceiling by by a phantom hand you're not you're not going to be like oh well if i leave I, I could get i could get a ticket for violating covid regulations subsection a3 you know like you're you're going to get the hell out of there and it's just like these these adults are behaving like children who don't know how to act right a child would be like oh but like mommy and daddy said i can't leave because of covid but there's a ghost now what do i do that's a kid's response like yeah. this is so frustrating for me on on just a character work level and on like this is some kind of commentary on covid yeah absolutely like my my if i heard somebody walking around in my apartment late at night i wouldn't be like oh my god i have to get my mask because of the mask mandate i don't want to get a 50 dollar fine <laughs> i would leave like <laughs> jesus <laughs> um I, I do i do want to mention one specific scene though before we move on into, into the covid discourse proper um so uh just, just a quick breakdown of the plot Haley organizes the skype seance for her friends Haley is incredibly earnest and she wants to respect the seance, right? You know, uh, she doesn't care if they necessarily believe in it or not, but they want them to take it. She wants her friends to take it seriously. And then she's, she's just making a, a request, right? Her character is the only one that's not just kind of an irredeemable loser. Um, Gemma, her, her friend, like halfway through the seance, Gemma's like, oh, I felt a hand. It's, it's the spirit of this boy, Jack, I knew in college who killed himself. And, and it turns out through the course of events, she was lying and she did that for attention and to spice up the night. Um, but in the end of the movie, Gemma breaks into Haley's uh, flat to, to see if she's okay. Uh, like we, we get the scene where Gemma's just standing there on like the far right of the frame and like a bottle on a string flies off a shelf and hits her in the head and knocks her out and she falls out of frame. And like, it's hard for me to articulate why, but when this scene happened, I almost fell out of my chair laughing. It was like, it is played with such great comedic effect that I do not think the creators of this movie intended. And the thing is, it's like, the reason this demon starts attacking them is because by making up the story about Jack, uh, Gemma has kind of opened a channel to use the the medium's uh, words um but the thing is this film gives no indication as to why Gemma would do this yeah yeah there, there's no like like because ah. <laughs> in 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 the scene in the scene where like everyone's in the call the one who is like the kind of jokey asshole character is teddy mm -hmm. he's the one who's like Oh, if you hear this music from this music box, it means we're all fucked. Uh, and he's the one who's like doesn't seem to be taking it very seriously and is like goofing around in a way that kind of seems congruent with his character. But like Gemma just just lies in a, in a way that's like hyper detailed, very emotionally manipulative to all of her it's so cruel. Friends. It's really cruel. It's just... uh, but but what why? Also, all of these friends, none of them really seem to like each other. <laughs> which, which is, um, uh, in 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 like in the reading of them, is is like uh, early thirties people still holding on to their undergrad friends. It definitely makes sense. Yeah, which totally tracks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, should we talk about the? Let's talk about COVID. Let's, let's yeah, let's uh, let's. Uh, so, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Horror Vanguard Pandemic miniseries. <laughs> <laughs> um. This I actually think that you're right. This is this is not a film about 
uh, coronavirus. But this is is a film about the experience of living through lockdown for a very narrow slice of what I think is the UK population. It's what is it like to be in the UK under lockdown if you are a probably very slightly overeducated, downwardly mobile member of the intellectual precariat who lives in London. Yeah, I think that I think like that that's what this feels tracks. like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this is really about COVID at all. Only only like in like the you have to really reach to bring COVID into this movie. Like there, there is one scene right where where Gemma puts on her her like uh, disposable N95 coronavirus mask to go outside, and even even that is kind of like it's it's this this quick little scene, and it's just it's it's missing like like coronavirus is not Zoom calls and wearing masks, like you know like as I, as I said in the intro, coronavirus is this terrifying constellation of an otherwise preventable and minimizable influenza outbreak that has hooked in to racism, uh, uh, classism, capitalism, all these uh, oppressive forces to, to create death on a scale that is hard to put your head around. And in this movie, it reduces it to the reason we're having a Skype seance and, and wearing a mask outside. Like you could replace COVID yeah. in this movie with uh, a, a bad thunderstorm, people going on vacation, you could replace it with literally whatever you want. It doesn't need to be in the movie proper. Like, and I think the mistaking of it for making any kind of comment about COVID is actually pretty revealing of the fact that the vast majority of like the mainstream cultural comment industry doesn't understand or acknowledge the atomization and loneliness of life under neoliberalism, right? Because mm-hmm. you could, you could kind of, kind of push this and go, you know what, you know, maybe this is what it's like after you graduate university and you move to a big city, and you can't really go out to see your friends. So, because all of you are broke, so what you decide to do is like do some fun stuff on Zoom one night. That that there's something there, but when people go, oh, it's just still about the experience of lockdown. You go, ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're kind of going to empty out the potential political content of this metaphor mm. and we get, and we're going to instead talk about like isn't it weird that you have to queue outside the grocery store now like that's that's how much covid makes its way into this <laughs> and, and not even not even that it's literally just them putting on a mask in in one scene yeah. for one character and it's like if, if we wanted to explore the horror of of covid there is there is so much there there is there is an, an infinite well of nightmares that that we can shovel into here but instead we're just like we're just making unfriended again this is incredibly frustrating for me because this movie is aspiring to something very interesting and like you're like your 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 example like it, this movie would function so much better if they dropped the coronavirus stuff and it was literally just about broke early 30-somethings millennials trying to survive in a major metropolitan city like this this makes perfect sense in that context yeah absolutely and actually you could talk then about like oh well why can't we go out it's because all of us are broke or like maybe if we spend too long out of our flat one of us is worried that the landlord is going to come in and change the Mm -hmm. locks and we won't be able to get back in yeah 
but that would in, would require a kind of deeper political engagement that mainstream cultural discourse doesn't really allow for. Yeah, it's it's just not it's just not capable of going there. And I think that there's something really malevolent. There's a malevolent force inside this film, John, a haunting entity that is waiting to to fill a vessel and break forth and cause chaos. And that's like th- this movie is new normal discourse. Right, like, like oh, this, yeah, this movie isn't pre- 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 the presenting coronavirus as something terrifying and and that needs solutions. This movie is presenting coronavirus as that thing that's in the background. You know, there's yeah. nothing you could do. It's just the thing yeah. that makes you stay at home. Like, like that's the effect of coronavirus in this movie. Is it's the thing that's making you have all these Zoom chats. And it's yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the baffling. thing, isn't it? That's the thing. Bafflingly poor. You know, if <laughs> if if COVID covid is annoying because it means you have to work from home and you have to spend so much time on zoom now and maybe uh like oh it's a novelty we'll get all of our friends together and we'll do shots whilst we're talking about the astral plane it's like oh god like, <laughs> like uh, you i i honestly do think there's a, there is an incredibly um important like covid19 horror film that you could make this is not it Oh, I 100% agree with that. But um, I know you wanted to talk about how this movie was produced. Yeah, so this this started out as like a bit for Twitter, mm-hmm. which is that the, direct, the director was on a Zoom call with a whole bunch of his friends and uh, spliced in, like the setup was he was hearing weird noises in the attic and he spliced in some footage from Wreck, which we actually have talked about in the pandemic miniseries, um, into into the Zoom call, and it's a cl- it's a, it's a that's a pretty clever bit of editing. It's a pretty nifty bit of editing work, um, and it went super viral on Twitter. Um, and like the clip itself is two minutes long, and he's leveraged that into making because I think his other previous work has all been short films like stuff which is between five to 12 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And he's leveraged this little viral clip into making his first 60 minute like mini feature. And I'm like, you know what? The host 2020 is a great four minute film. It's just a shame that it's 56 minutes long. I I couldn't agree more with literally everything you just said. The, 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 context of the production of this movie is interesting and that is i I would be more interested in watching uh the making of host right oh yeah that that's an interesting coronavirus movie not host (laughs) it was directed remotely um so the director was never on set with any of the actors because a lot of it was done from home so actors had to do their own makeup they had to do their own um special effects and blood effects um there were a couple of stunt stand-ins for, for key shots. Um, and you can kind of tell where they do the kind of compositing work. Um, but, you know, it was all done remotely. And I think that would be a great... That's a really interesting idea of, like... But there is something about this idea of, like, virality is, a, is, a, is something that can be leveraged. Social media virality is something that can be leveraged into commercial success which is true is kind of true but also 
kind of runs against this idea of this film being some grand metaphor on COVID-19. <laughs> it's like, it was, it was, I mean, credit to the director and the writers. They had a, a cool spooky idea that they decided to like, I don't know. It'd be like, <laughs> they, they, they like put it together. And then one of them was like, this is going to do numbers. This is going to do numbers on Twitter. This tweet is going to bang. <laughs> and it did. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I admire it. Everyone has to kind of like work with what they've got in order to build their portfolio. But let's treat this film for what it is, not what we would like it to be. Absolutely. Um, and, and you know, like the, there's a lot I like about this film. I like the atmospheric work. I, li- I like the effects. Um, it stops right after that. <laughs> the acting's fine because I'm fairly certain these are characters, are like people just playing themselves, right? The the characters and actors share names, and it's like. Yeah, kind of, kind of falls apart after all of those compliments, which isn't, which isn't very, very much. I, 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 I do feel though that this film was just designed to do what the original mini short was designed to do, which is like do numbers on Twitter. Oh no, totally. Yeah, that's what it's for. <laughs> um, because lots of the people on Twitter who talk about films are on Zoom calls all day. Yes, uh, the the only the only encounter with virality this movie actually has is Twitter fame. Yeah, absolutely. Heyo. <laughs> well, given that we've been kind of dancing around it, do you want to talk about hyper reality then? Oh, let's get let's get hyper real. Let's get so real we're indistinguishable from fiction. Um, what do you want to bring up then? So, so the reality of COVID is is as as I've mentioned a couple times in this episode, intractably tied to capitalism. Right, COVID isn't just the the COVID pandemic isn't just this this particularly dangerous strain of influenza. It is it is a much larger picture. That particularly dangerous strain of influenza on its own would certainly be a threatening problem that the world would need to face together. But under capitalism, it's a nightmare. It's something so much different, right? And so as as the media digests the COVID pandemic and reproduces the the aesthetic image of the COVID pandemic, like a Xerox copy getting copied over and over and over again, it begins to no longer resemble the thing it's attempting to talk about. And that's that this is kind of hyperreality 101. Hyperreality, it's it's an image without resemblance, is is the quote, right? It is it is a blurring of this this fictitious thing, right? What this movie's presenting as COVID. Oh, it's the thing that makes you stay inside. And the reality of COVID is it's a failing of capitalism emboldened by, by racism and colonialism to allow this disease to run rampant in our most vulnerable communities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for a certain section of the population, you, you, what you said right in the recap is really accurate, right? Uh, COVID-19 is a media event. Yeah. And it, it's a media spectacle. It's a kind of uh, spectacularized imaginary, uh, which occurs in this kind of nebulous over there. And it's it's really striking just how many um, how much of that has, has kind of occurred. Uh, and then, you know, when it 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 become it can make itself real because a lot of these people who think like that are not very good at kind of social distancing or wearing a mask when they need to 
or avoiding large crowds. It's yeah, um, it's, it's not it's not the people who are being uh, devastated by this virus who are hanging out at restaurants, you know, or who are going to bars or secret COVID parties or whatever, you know, like the, the those two groups aren't the same yes. group. And you you can plainly see this by the fact that there has been no to date uh, a massive COVID nightmare outbreak connected to any of these Black Lives Matter protests. And these are gathering hundreds and thousands of people in close proximity, you know, yeah. and like that's not sparking the disease. The disease is being sparked by like the, the these kind of like uh, uh, middle class, quote unquote, successful people like having extended gatherings with their families, dining indoors, going to bars, like really yep. disregarding 100%. all of this. You know, I've been, especially, I mean, living in Manchester, I've been to uh, protests where, like, the biggest concern from people organizing was, does everybody have a mask? If you don't have a mask, we will get you a mask. Does everyone have access to, to hand gel? If you don't have it, we'll get it to you. Please, you know, keep your distance from people. Please make sure you stay. Like, that was a big driving, that was maybe the most uh, kind of, prominent message in the kind of structure of for example the big blm protests that have been happening over here um but you're right like the biggest driver of growth especially in the region where i am has been uh middle class white communities going out to dinner together and mixing large family groups together and socializing together because it's all like covid was presented and understood by them as a kind of media imaginary it's 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 like every every major disease crisis and health crisis we face it's a problem for the yeah. capital o other not a problem for the yeah. cultural hegemony yeah absolutely and i think like i mean like contrast because that's the same here if you if you go to a black lives matter protest anywhere in the states there's going to be some wonderful hard-working and incredibly brave medics who who are, are handing out masks who are distributing resources um, but if you go to like, like here, here in the city I live in, uh, they just, um, announced a, a, what I'll refer to as a soft emergency mask requirement. Um, if, if you're, if you're in any public wow. indoor location, uh, with, uh, many exceptions, including restaurants and gyms, you are required to wear a mask now. Um, which I mean, this this is it's virtually pointless if you're already excluding bars somehow. <laughs> but like, uh, a lot of a lot of the stores over here have started selling masks at the door. There'll be a sign that says, "If you don't have a mask, buy one," and they're all like one to fifteen dollars. You know, and that's that's just extortion. Whereas if you go to a Black Lives Matter protest, there will be people handing out resources you need for free, and that's because one of these groups wants to create community, wants to make the world a better place, wants to uh, restore people's rights and build justice. And the other group is trying to make money. Yes, precisely, precisely. And I think this, this, this kind of, what we've been saying about the ways in which it forms a kind of background noise and actually refuses any deeper engagement with the metaphors of atomization, of individualization, of financial precarity of all of those things which are products of neoliberal governmentality including the massive mismanagement of the COVID-19 health crisis this kind of connects to a couple of points right the biggest growth of um like coronavirus conspiracy theories 
has been in this same kind of demographic of people who are relatively affluent and secure and are able to work from home. Uh, and I think that's really striking, right? Because they are basically inured from the very worst effects of it thanks to the systemic functionings of neoliberal capitalism. Uh, and in the UK context, this is something that's just been happening recently. Government has been doing this massive drive of trying to encourage people back to the office. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Uh, because for one, it's the way in which the UK economy works has valorized this idea of being a, a young, flexible worker who's an individual and who can respond in an agile manner to the demands of the market which we quickly realized under COVID was completely catastrophic, which is why everyone was told to work from home. But the reason being is because all of the city center businesses, which were set up in, to respond to this workforce, are going to die. Uh, so it's like the big discourse on UK left Twitter lately has been like, I'm not dying for Pratt. I'm not dying just so I can spend six pounds on a sandwich at lunchtime. <laughs> But my my po my point my point is this right my and this is kind of bigger than the film that we're talking about and this is maybe a kind of really obvious point but I think it's worth stating which is that we live in a kind of obscenely over optimized system like just bafflingly so so that working from home actually getting people to work in the communities in which they live which you, you know regardless of of anything would be a good idea is genuinely impossible. So instead, what's supposed to happen is that these massive economic sinks, which are the big cities, draw in people and resources for 60 hours a week, five days a week, if not more than that, and mean that people are going to place themselves at colossal risk because literally these big city centres are seen as too big to fail. Like in the UK, at the start of lockdown, there were um, food shortages in quite a lot of supermarkets. And this was not because people were panic buying. Actually, yes. consumption rose by like a, consumption rose by like a few percentage points, and it was mostly people stocking up on non-perishable items. The problem was we live in a system which is so absurdly over-optimized that that slight increase in demand meant there were huge shortages because supply lines were already stretched so thin. And this kind of reinforces exactly what you're talking about, right? Viruses are. Um, natural material phenomena but crises of virology are produced and exacerbated by the same forces which atomize and individualized the characters in this film you are 100% correct we are going to look back on coronavirus and this pandemic with, with the same vitriolic anger and horror that we look back on the AIDS crisis it is, it is something that could have been bottled and, and stopped dead in its tracks if it wasn't for the fact that the people in power honestly want us all to die. Like, like it is <laughs> yeah. a, a systemic problem that is only tenuously connected to the, the natural existence of this influenza strain. I don't know any other way of kind of putting this, but like anyone who is desperate to get back to normal is someone who has been very privileged by the normal they're talking yes. about. Yes, and that's and that's part of what this movie's doing in terms of hyper-reality, right? Like, coronavirus, for this kind of, like, 
the the failing middle class, right? These overeducated, underemployed, overworked group of people that are still somewhat economically stable. Uh, coronavirus for them, it, it's been this kind of bizarre holiday, right? It's been more time spent at home. It's been less time at the office. It's been oh, Skype calls in your pajamas instead of putting on the old suit. Whereas for like the people who actually make society run, for <laughs> garbage men, truck drivers, uh, grocery employees, postal workers, people who actually have jobs, <laughs> like for for them it is it is a daily confrontation with the possibility of their own death. It, it is it is a nightmare, you know, and it's just like there are, you you can see the different worlds lived in your community based on class, based on for whom coronavirus has been this uh, weird staycation and for whom coronavirus is the same life they've been living the same the same life they've been living for the years beforehand now with the added threat of being killed by the most lethal influenza strain in decades yeah yeah absolutely and then this movie this movie just completely plays in to to that to, to that petty bourgeois middle class appraisal of of coronavirus where it's it's just an awkward staycation and its consequences are the exact same consequences if i said john you have to have a staycation for five months you know you, you'd get a little stir crazy you'd want to skype your friends like that's that's all it is for in the context of this movie there's no it's it's baffling to me that there's no there, there's no moment where the characters are like oh we all live within a 15 minute walk of each other let's meet up downtown oh teddy can't meet us because he's he's quarantined in this cottage um with it with his partner yeah. oh no teddy teddy has been killed uh but oh the, the four of us made it together and now we it's like there's no there's no actual engagement with what coronavirus means it, yeah and it's like ah so I'm, I'm baffled by just 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 the, the fucking gossamer connection between uh, this movie which is being lauded as, an, as as this like poetic masterclass on coronavirus isolation and the actual lived experience of coronavirus isolation yeah i mean you could have had you could have had a demon that made people sick or, or, that made people physically or, or better yet or better yet you could have a, a fucking demon that the only way to prevent it from killing you is to be in, in groups of five it's, it's to be within I mean, three like, feet of someone that's how you stop this thing. Is you got to be close to somebody. It it, I mean, it, like, it follows in reverse or something, and it's just like ah, my brain right now is just like on fire with like <laughs> opinion. You know this this I guess this is the thing, right? In this film, nobody nobody seems worried about being sick, or nobody seems like uh, you know. Um, Absolutely, I yeah. live. I live in a in a tiny apartment, and downstairs there's my neighbor, uh, who is a single mother with a a five year old kid, and they uh, they got sick, and for two weeks they couldn't go outside of a two room apartment, and I'm like, to me, trying to take care of a five year old, and tell them that they can't go outside for two whole weeks. Because it's too dead. Like that's a that's a horror film that I would watch. That's a horror and, film. That and I would and watch. imagine imagine that situation, but now you've got a demon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh wait, we have that. It's called Wreck. Or or Bava's <laughs> demon. Like 
I'm sorry. Oh, for what? For what could have been? For what could have been? And I'm like, you know, that that feels like that could have been like a really powerful and really. This could have been a really. I, as I say, I do really think that like the the the, the COVID nineteen horror film is is out there. I don't think this yeah, is the, it. The, the, this ain't um, it, director. But that that isn't to say that it's bad. It's fine. It's fine. It just probably doesn't deserve a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, this, this is this this is a movie that I would rank exactly on par with the Unfriended films. If if the Unfriended films are getting a six point four, this is getting a six point four. Like this isn't meaningfully better yeah. or worse. It's got some different aesthetic choices that it's making. the The Unfriended movies are are louder in their spectacle. You're sticking your hand into a blender. You're chugging bleach. Like those movies are hardcore and they own it. This movie's about a much more subtle, much more occulted haunting, uh, but it's still it's still like doing the hack ghost movie stuff where the ghost is throwing people into the ceiling and like snapping necks of levitating bodies and setting people on fire. It's doing it's still doing that, right? Like this this is not meaningfully better than Unfriended. Yeah, precisely. Damn and it. I think that's a pretty good place to kind of. <laughs> kind of wrap things up is there anything else you wanted to talk about um i think I, 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 like i think the only other thing i would add to this is this idea of the zoom chat being the the, the kind of uh communication model par excellence for covid is is a classist thing you know now that now that the school semester is starting we're getting all of these stories about like Working class families uh, who don't have internet because they can't afford it needing to uh, have like their three kids share one data connection on a smartphone so they can all go to school or kids like hanging out in the back uh, parking lot of like a Taco Bell so that they can use the Taco Bell Wi-Fi while mom's at work. Y you know, yeah. like like that is the reality of COVID. And when we when we sum it all down to uh zoom oh awkward zoom calls staycation uh when we sum it all down to that stuff we we are erasing uh the most marginalized and exploited people in our class and and on top of that like that necessarily weaves itself back into racism and colonialism and like this this movie the critics who are lauding this movie as a discussion of covid need to very seriously sit down and think about the material realities and class position of their critique, or they will continue to launder their own oppression. Yeah, I mean, I, I as I said, I think the fact that this is Zoom calls is very important. Like, it's very revealing. Like, Zoom is used by office workers, it's used by graduates it's used by people in employment uh and yeah they all might live in the same kind of london box apartments but they're not struggling to find wi-fi right you know this is it's it was it was made by someone who uh by a group of people who work in film and probably live in london and <laughs> yeah you know probably maybe aren't doing all that well but like they get by and they can pay for the wi-fi at their the super fast internet at their place because that's a thing they need for their job and you know you're completely correct and i think that's a really important part of this kind of technological horror um like it isn't you know 
trying to teach students who maybe don't have access to a laptop or don't have regular Wi-Fi at home or, you know, have to struggle with trying to get online in the first place because uh, for a variety of structural, systemic reasons. Um, and I think you're completely right. Like, if you if you miss that, if, you, if you're kind of desperate to move past that and talk about this as the great metaphor for our time, you're telling on yourself more than anything. Uh, one one hundred thousand million percent um and, and yeah like definitely like i i watched this movie and it was it was a nice it was a nice light fare i i got uh one good laugh and i enjoyed some of the atmospheric elements but uh, un unfriended is going to stay with me for years because unfriended is just like what <laughs> did that guy just put his hand in a blender <laughs> Uh, whereas this, I'm sort of like, oh, clever! It's a Zoom meeting. It's because like on Zoom a lot, and that's you know, this, it. This movie, this movie is already <laughs> melting into air. It is, it is away from me. Um, it is gone. It has exited my being. Uh, that's it's really, it's really just kind of the maybe, and maybe it does stay with me for the years. But if it stays with me, it's going to be for the vulgarity of how it handled coronavirus in a world where so many people I, I bet you within a block or two of any of these actors are are currently facing an unprecedented you know like risk of housing insecurity deaths in the family uh, uh watching their kids go go to work because they need that money to keep up rent like I, it's it's appalling to me that this is the vision of coronavirus horror par excellence. Is this really what we're going to be lauding? And and the fault there, the fault there is against our a group which is increasingly becoming our nemesis on this show, <laughs> which is which is like a mainstream big audience film critics. Yes, yes, truly, truly. Uh, you, know, you know, Darren Aronofsky better turn out a really terrible movie within the next couple of days, or might I, I might have to change. Because otherwise, he's getting replaced. Yeah. <laughs> he's getting replaced as the horror vanguard nemesis. Hey, Aronofsky, Aronofsky's just not putting out mothers like he used to. Uh, while these film, these film critics are just saying bafflingly horrible stuff. Host twenty twenty. I sure did watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>